Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Jennifer Morrison. As InceptionU's learning catalyst and lead program designer, Jen provides valued leadership, guidance, meaningful connections, and an engaging learning environment to the learners and is deeply dedicated to their success in the InceptionU programs. Jen has over 11 years of experience as an educator and received her Master's of Educational Leadership from High Tech High Graduate School of Education in San Diego, California. Jen possesses extensive experience in project-based and experiential learning and design thinking. Let's dive in and learn about brains with Jen Morrison and her guest, Samantha Woods. Take it away, Jen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast put on and supported by Rainforest Alberta. My name is Jen Morrison, and I am the lead learning designer and strategist at Inception U. And today I am frankly honored and really looking forward to having a vulnerable and open, humble and fun conversation with Samantha Woods. So Samantha, or Sam as I'm going to call her, she is the founder of Kaizen Education Services, based here in Calgary, but quickly growing to be working with clients and people in all areas of the world. So I want to welcome you, Sam, to the Libby podcast today. Oh, thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me today. So we're going to get started. And, you know, before we started recording the the episode, I asked you, I said, is there anything off limits? Is, you know, are there things I can't ask you? Are there people we can't talk about? And you said, nope, we're, we're just going to dig in. So where we're going to start today is actually share with us where you grew up. Tell us about the family that you grew up with, the environment, and then I guess along that, I want to know the people that loved you the most. How would they have described you as a kid? Oh, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that because I, as I was cleaning out some family storage areas recently, I found my old report cards. <laughs> so that's something, oh my gosh, I... I was like, wow, this is who I was, right? Or this is how I became me. It's just really cool to see your grade three, four, seven, eight, and then high school reports, right? Just really interesting. So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. My family, my parents are from England. So East End, London, England. They grew up in a very, you know, tough time post-war. They immigrated. They got married quite young, immigrated to Canada. And they were real adventure seekers is what I think now for their time, especially. So they kind of rebelled a bit and said, you know what, we're going to get our education and then head across the big pond. And they did. And they had our, they landed in Calgary, Alberta, you know, when Calgary truly was a cow town. And my mom tells some great stories about nobody being able to understand her when she spoke, despite speaking English. And my dad was an engineer and worked in various capacities, Florida, Canada, et cetera. And then ended up his last 30 years of his career was at the National Research Council. And my mom did some, actually some estate planning work, had my, they had my brother and I. And then we moved to England somewhere in between there for five years. We went back to England. My dad was a true free spirit and said, nope, we're going back to England opportunity there and then came back to Canada. So my brother and I were born in Calgary, but we had a strong English influence. And I look back and I think about how my parents described me, which was kind of interesting when I read these report cards. So I was always, let's just say I was a very curious child. I was, I was curious and, you know, right or wrong. <laughs> my mom, my mom tells stories of having to put that harness thing on me. Because if we were at the Stampeder downtown, I was gone looking at things or she'd find me, you know, usually in the, with the horses and the cows and in the mud. And I was not a typical, stereotypical girl. 
and was very, yeah, I was an in the mud kid. And my parents really embraced that, which is really lovely, actually. That's amazing. I relate deeply to that. It's so funny. Those, <laughs> I feel like in society, if we saw that now, harnesses on kids, but I, there might be that assumption of like, why is that parent doing that? Like, it makes sense. Like, sometimes we need to just keep keep them on a leash. But you were a curious and continue to be a very curious person. What were the things that you were really passionate about, sort of leveraging off of that curiosity characteristic that has always been so deeply a part of who you are? What did you really love, not just as a kid, but thinking through your teen years? Like, what were you passionate about? Oh, I loved, you know, what I really loved was creating. When I look back, I think, you know, my mom always said if Sam was upset or if Sam needed to be occupied, she just gave me pencil crowns, scissors, glue, and paper. And for me, that was, I just loved crafts. I love artwork. I love just making things. I used to help my mom in the garden. I was very passionate about that reading as well. I loved to read, but it took me a while to read as a kid. You know, I was one of those kids that didn't do something I wasn't interested in. And so it was tough to read things that, you know, some school-based work where I was like, I was bored or, but I I still tell my own clients and students this. I was introduced to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and that changed my life. And just uh, sort of a very imaginative child, let's say, you know, probably didn't have the best attention in classes because I was daydreaming and creating other things. And that, I think, carried through when I think through teenage years, of course, loved people, loved my friends, loved being in a pack of people that I could connect with. And, and then really just loved sciences. So I can I can really see the connection between science and creativity now. Like at the time, I didn't. You were either arts or humanities or math and science, right? There wasn't a lot of opportunity to bridge those those subjects. But looking back now, especially in our current climate of learning, it's like, wow, that's everything, connecting all those pieces. It's so interesting because even when I was in school, like I'm thinking high school or even middle school, there was that divide between, well, you either are, you know, a science-based person or math-based person, or you're more into the arts and whatever. And I think now so much learning, especially shifts in curriculum, uh, are shifting to incorporate all of these elements together which I think is fascinating. So clearly, after graduating high school, you shifted into, I think, wanting to become a teacher. Did that happen quite quickly after high school? Like, Did you always know you wanted to go into education? Tell me about your professional journey post high school. Oh, yeah, I had no idea I would be a teacher, actually. Didn't even really cross my mind, to be honest. I was going into, I loved biology and sciences, not physics, but I did love, I loved human beings and learning about them. So I was heading down kind of pre-medicine route. Like I just really wanted to go and be a pediatrician. Actually, I knew I loved kids. Within a year, really figured out I did not want to do that. No way, no way. What am I going to do now? I had no clue. And my, it was my brother, actually, who said, oh, just take a few education classes. He was in education at the time and said, why don't you, you know what, just take a few. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I did. And I loved them. Just loved the collaborative experience and working in groups. And again, back to the creative piece, I suppose, which is teaching allowed me the ability to create alongside students. And I, I really loved that. And then I got into sort of the neuroscience piece later on once I became a teacher, but at the beginning, no idea. So then I just ate that up and, and I got my education degree. And then I actually was going on to do a master's of counseling. When I had this idea, I actually wrote the proposal for my thesis, because you have to write a proposal before they accept you. And I wrote about this place, I should I should find it because I kept it. It's somewhere. It was like I had this vision of this place where everybody could join together in a community and help struggling learners. 
And that was truly my passion because I had to be creative on reaching those students. And I had a, an idea of this, this organization, I suppose, and talked about learning difficulties and diagnosis of learning difficulties and ADHD and all that that comes with learning challenges. And wouldn't it be great if we had a place to go so we could all be empowered and, and learn more? And, and then Kaizen started because I, I had written this proposal, started taking the first few classes, and my life changed radically at that point. My brother had passed away from cancer or was passing away from cancer. I had a relationship that ended. I had two boys. I couldn't afford university anymore. I couldn't do my master's degree. So sadly, I had to put that on hold. And I was devastated that I couldn't move ahead. But the very cool thing, I suppose, is the dream still came true. And so I started working with kids in my school system, struggling learners that were diagnosed with a learning difficulty or ADHD or not at all. They were just struggling. And I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, why are all these really bright kids struggling? What's going on? So that led me down the neuroscience pathway where I connected with someone called Peg Dawson, Judy Willis, who are gurus in the area of neuroscience and learning. They are from the U.S. and like real groundbreaking research, especially using functional MRI testing to see how brains really learn best. And that fascinated me. So I started to apply some of those understandings and learnings to my own work with students. And I started to see positive changes happening, especially in the area of executive functioning, which I know, Jen, you're going to be like, I know what that is. Because we talk about this stuff all the time, don't we? I, I do. I have a personal connect, connection to what Sam is talking about. So just so all of you are aware who are listening, I actually was diagnosed about a year ago with uh, with ADHD. And that journey has been so interesting and fascinating. And, you know, we'll talk more about, you know, the clients that you're working with, because from my perspective, Sam, the work and the contribution that Kaizen is having on not just the community, but on people is so significant. And it's not just about kids or youth, like we're all learners. And I think if we all had a clearer and deeper understanding of how our unique brains work, it just would really shift, you know, our experiences in learning. So we'll get to that a little bit more. But for for all of you, Sam has been a pivotal and very critical part of my journey with sort of getting clearer on my own brain <laughs> and how how it works, but also why I was having certain challenges for such a long period in my life. So Sam, when you were playing around with, you know, the idea of Kaizen and, you know, starting to work with you know, the students that you were working with in the school, I think you were at Rundle for quite a long time, weren't you? Okay. So yeah, you started working within the school with these, with these kids. What were the questions that you found were sort of repeating in your brain? Because from my perspective, it's the questions that we ask in the curious or the things that we're curious about that then shift us into action to create, which is what you've done with Kaizen. So what were those questions that you found yourself asking? often in relation to how brains work? I had so many questions. And, and I think the overarching question, the big question for me was why, right? Why, why are really smart kids not loving learning? Why are really smart kids failing or by traditional standards failing? You know, what? what's the roadblock? What's the brain doing? And so what is it? I think that was my big question. What is that? What are we doing as a system, as adults? What are we doing? Because I don't know, like kids naturally love to learn. People naturally love to learn, right? But they didn't like school. <laughs> so it's like, hmm, like schools are places of learning, aren't they? Why are it really... Why don't people want to learn here? Not all people, obviously, but there were certain groups of kids that were really struggling. And so I just wanted to get to the bottom of that or find an answer to satisfy that 
that need to help them because I think the potential of these brains I was working with, I was like, whoa, you know, you see the psychoed reports and you see how they test and you see all these things. And what, what really occurred to me is why don't they understand that about themselves? And then I was like, oh my gosh, maybe if we actually know or have an understanding, self-awareness of our brain and how it's learning, we can take away that behavioral piece because a lot of, not just kids, but adults too, if we're struggling with something, it comes out in our behavior, right? So I've seen really smart kids acting out or avoiding or appearing lazy. I'm doing like little quotes. I just realized I'm on a podcast, but I'm doing like little quotation marks with my fingers, right? They were And they were being called these, these labels, like everyone's against labeling, but they were being labeled like as lazy, unorganized, no, you know, if only this, this kid could do this, they would be more successful. So I'm like, well, then why don't we teach the do this? Would that work? So I had all these sort of things flying through my own head. And then I just started researching going like, what is that? And that led me to, like I said, Peg Dawson, Judy Willis to go, huh, like, you know, as a teacher, why am I not taught about the brain? Like, it's kind of important because we're working with brains. Like, I'm not going to go to a heart surgeon who doesn't know about the heart, hopefully. And I'm not going to go to a mechanic that doesn't know about cars. So why why are we not taught about the brain, right? And uh, so then I just went on that kind of neuroscience journey, started piloting some different ways of teaching and learning, more the how of learning, got away from the content. And I had the most amazing principal and these people who come out of the woodwork. Well, he didn't, I saw him every day, but he was so inspiring to his name was Wayne and he was the principal at the time. And I said to him, look, I, and I'd go to him with all my like little curious things and he would tolerate, <laughs> tolerate me. And I'd say, Wayne, could we, do you mind if I work with groups of kids and try these things? And he said, absolutely. And so I would try these things with kids who, quote unquote, weren't learning. And they just started to work. Um, and we focused on the area of the prefrontal cortex, executive functioning, all that ADHD stuff, Jen, right? That kind of gets people bogged down. The most rewarding thing was seeing these kids gain confidence. That was the big piece. I was like, wow, they suddenly start walking a little taller and starting to show up mentally in their classes. And really important was seeing them start to advocate because they knew what they needed. They finally knew how to articulate it. Yeah. And and as an adult, I don't know if I've ever had the tools or the way of asking or advocating even for myself until you know, recently within the last decade. And that is mind blowing to me. And one thing I want to bring up, because I think often people equate learning with IQ or success with IQ. And when we're talking about neurodiversity and brains, it's not about that. Do you want to just maybe speak to that a bit? Because I don't want anyone who's listening to think we're talking about smart, you know, like, or that, that, definition of what intelligence is. I'm just wondering if you want to share a little bit about that. And then we'll get into some specifics about how did you start Kaizen. But let's talk about the IQ piece, because I don't want that to be misinterpreted or assumed within what we're talking about when it comes to executive functioning and, and the brain. Oh, Jen, that's my soapbox. <laughs> you just, you hit a soft spot in me, that whole IQ piece. I'm so glad you brought that up. So thank you. Yeah, it's, I call executive functioning the new IQ. Like the IQ score, oh, I could get into that. That's probably a whole other podcast of are they accurate? What's the cultural implications, influences, etc. So I don't even talk IQ with people because there's so many flaws and it, it, it technically measures potential, right? Like, yeah, we can, you can might have a Ferrari brain, you know, Dr. Hollowell says Ferrari brain bicycle brakes, right? So for kids with ADHD, adults with ADHD, but the IQ score is irrelevant 
because it's the school, it's the tools and strategies and actions you're taking that will determine your success, right? And we see that over and over again. And if you can be a really, really smart, in quotes again, person, but if you're lacking tools, strategies, social awareness, social emotional intelligence, life's going to be hard. And it doesn't, that IQ score just doesn't matter. And so really it's about people understanding their, and I think we're all neurodiverse. This term neurodiverse and neurotypical or neuroatypical, even those terms, we are all just walking brains and we all have different ways. Our brains are functioning in different ways and it's up to us to understand that. And um, so IQ can't be a, a measure of, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me about that, but after 20 something years of working with brains of all ages, it just doesn't matter. It's what you know about yourself and your potential. It's like a toolkit. You know, I use that phrase a lot in the work that we do. It, we all have, if we imagine like a, a tool belt around our waist and there's tools that we have and then maybe tools that we're missing, doesn't mean that we can't achieve, you know, those certain things that we're trying to do. It's just about understanding how our brains work and the strategies we can use in order to achieve what we want to. And, you know, maybe maybe there's another time we can dig into that, you know, idea of IQ even more in another episode. So we'll park that for now. But going back to, so you're working at Rundle and, and you're working with these, you know, students within the school and these small groups and you're playing around with these ideas and clearly you're recognizing something that you're deeply passionate about, but also there's an opportunity to create a business and step into entrepreneurship, which as an educator and a teacher, I mean, I was a teacher in schools for just under 12 years. And, you know, I think that world, you know, and there's other industries and careers that are similar where you get, you know, you get a certain amount of experience and it, for many, it becomes not even an option to step out of that, or or it's a really scary thing to step away from that. I guess nothing is ever certain, but that safety net of like a permanent contract or, you know, whatever that looks like in, you know, a union environment in particular. So what was that journey like for you? Because you made the decision to get this company off the ground. Do you want to talk to me about the first, you know, the first while with that? How, how did that happen? What was that like for you? What feelings were coming up? And then what were the stepping stones to getting Kaizen going? It was a big leap. It was a big leap. And, you know, people say, oh, that was so courageous. And I'm like, I don't know if it was courage, because I think I gravely underestimated what it was going to take, to be honest. And when I look back and think, had I known what I know now, would I have still done it? Like at that particular moment. And I don't know, like, for me, at that point, ignorance was bliss in the long run, because I obviously now I would be like, Oh, thank God. But at the time, you know, I thought, okay, I'm working with these students. And I was starting to get people asking me to work with their kids outside of school. Again, my lovely principal Wayne was super encouraging and said, Yeah, for sure, you can do that. I wanted to keep everything transparent and say, you know, is this okay? Yep, for sure. And we would talk about the research and we would talk about how we can make good change happen for kids, which is where the name Kaizen came from, good change, which then translates into the workplace is what I realized. So I had this vision because I could, I was working with, with underdeveloped brains, right? Our brains don't develop till like 20, 25, somewhere in there. And then I could see how diversity and how teachers' brains were working and how, as adults, diversity in, in, the, in the workplace, right? I could see I was starting to notice all these different moving pieces. And so I thought, oh, if I only get six clients, I could potentially leave my very stable pension-paying summers-free job most summers, unless I was doing some PD or something. I had two two kiddos, Aaron and Cameron, my boys, and my dog. And I thought, you know what? No problem. 
let's let's do this. So I did because you know as much as I mean school systems I think we can all say you have limits, right? There are limits within a school system and limited resources as well. So I couldn't not every kid I was able to get an hour of coaching every week in a school system. So made the leap to my home office, got my home office going and then quickly realized I'm going to need a lot more than six clients to make this happen. <laughs> and then the fear set in. It was like, what have I done? Right? What have I done? Like, I'm, how am I going to do all of this? I'm going to pay a mortgage and my kiddos are have to go to school. And my own son has a diagnosed learning difficulty, so needed some extra resources. And I thought, oh, oh dear. So then it just lit the fire, Jen. It lit the fire. <laughs> and so I just started doing more and more and more. And then it just really took off to the point where I'm thinking, I might need, you know, another office or can I bring on someone to help me? So that's, and then I started, to, I brought on another coach and started, I trained him in the Kaizen program, which the Kaizen program at that time was about four black binders on my shelf, <laughs> where I'd be like, here's the black binders, this is what I do, here's some reading. And we started and I hired an experienced educator. So off we went, then we got busier and busier. And so then I just started bringing on really special, beautiful people who understood who had the background in education, but understood and get it, right? Understood that these kiddos needed something different. They needed to be coached on, on their brains, how their brains work. And, and then eventually it just, we just started taking off and taking off. And I brought on more and more, more and more coaches and developed a training program. I don't know how far you want me to go down that road, because then that led to <laughs> so many great things. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, and Kaizen is shifting into it's becoming software as well, which we'll get to in a little bit, which is crazy and so exciting because I, I love that earlier you were you were talking about I never expected to be running a software company, you know, and that's part of the beauty of the journey. But I I'm wondering at that point, so you know, when things are starting to to take off, you're starting to bring more people onto the team. Do you have like a handful of people or names particular individuals that were really key to the growth of the business. And I'm not necessarily just referring to your team. Like I know that you and Greg Hart have worked quite, quite closely together. So I'm just using that as an example. But are there any people that come to mind that were critical at that moment to then shift Kaizen into that next step? Does that make sense? You know, I there's so many people that sort of pop up along the way where you're just so thankful looking back especially one person in particular who doesn't work with Kaizen anymore her name is Patty McNeil left brain promotions I believe is her company and she was critical to when I had no money <laughs> zero money and knew I needed a website and I'm thinking okay and my friend a friend of mine, Dana Kerford, who is another inspiration. We worked together at Rundle College at one point. She started Girl Power and Good Guys, and which has now become international social, emotional intelligence, friendship group international. She lives in Australia now. She's She referred me to Patty. So I met with Patty and Patty said to me, okay, well, and Patty's one of the most creative brains I know. And she said, okay, well, what do you need? I said, I need a website. And she said, okay. And I said, I, I know every starving entrepreneur probably says this, but I actually have no money. <laughs> like I don't, but can we do like an installment program? Can we like, how can I pay you? Cause I do need this website to happen. And she said, well, what can you afford? And she had no, but she just, just tell me whatever you can give me, I'll do it. And so that's how our relationship started. And she built a beautiful website and that got things going that sort of took Kaizen to the next level of, and she created and she put in, let's just say she put in way more time than she ever billed me for. And she really believed in the value 
of education and supporting entrepreneurs too, and women. I think she saw, okay, here's someone who's trying to make this work. And I was a mom. I was on my own. I, you know, just how do we support women balancing this other life with entrepreneurship? And, you know, she walked with me when I went through health issues and my parents getting sick and she was just there, you know, and she could never do enough to help build that site to the point where then we had to actually hire someone who kind of had SEO experience. I didn't even know what that was, right? Like I had no idea. These people kept saying SEO, SEO. I'm like, what, what is that? You know, and I'd go home and friend, I'm just being really vulnerable on like what I didn't know. So I, I never, like you said, I never in a million years did I ever think Kaizen would become a software company. Like never. But Patty was instrumental, Dana Kerford, her inspiration. We would talk to each other about, especially at the beginning, how do you handle this in your business? And then I was so blessed to have mentors. My best friend is a CPA. Her husband is a lawyer. They came out and said, okay, we're going to do your law stuff. We'll help you with the accounting. I didn't know all the government forms you have to fill out to start a business. Like this was my first, I was trained as an educator. My learning curve on running a business was like inverted. (laughs) It was huge. But all these people, you know, Carol Akbar, Tamor Akbar came out and were like here. And that's the part that I think is the beauty of the ecosystem is these people rally around you, you know, and Jen, you've become one of those people, right? Because they believe in your mission and what you're really trying to do. And I fell into, I remember James Lockery saying to me, so how, tell us how you became an entrepreneur. And then I said, I, or tell, yeah, tell us how you became, how you plan on becoming an entrepreneur or something. And I said, I didn't like, it was a big accident or a big, like, I didn't actually plan this. (laughs) It just sort of evolved. And then I could see potential and things happening. And next thing I knew, I really needed help, but I was very strong about what I wanted to create. I just needed other people and their expertise to help me. And they did. And, and I owe them a lot. I I was thinking as you were talking that, that first question that I asked, you know, the characteristics of who you were as a, as a kid and, you know, how would those who love you the most describe you? And curiosity is something that is so integral to who you are. And I think I'm seeing that curiosity and just embracing the uncertainty is such a critical part of an entrepreneur's journey because you can't map it out exactly, really. So the unexpected nature of this business that you're creating, but it's not even about the business. Like from my perspective, it's about the impact, truly the impact that you and your team and your approach to recognizing strength and empowering not just kids, but adults as well, because you're also working with adults because there's so many of us that have, you know, gone through learning and education systems and, you know, we're living our lives. And then we reach this point where we have an opportunity to either understand our brain differently or learn differently. And it shifts everything, at least it has for me. So I don't know, I think that curiosity piece was is so critical to the entrepreneur journey. So where is Kaizen right now? I mean, tell me about what's going on in the business. What are, what is the team working to create? And, you know, what's next? Because there's some other things I want to ask you as well. But just like, where is Kaizen right now? Well, where are we? Well, that just a quick note on that entrepreneurial piece where the everything changes, right? Everything's fluid and moving. It was Dana Kerford from Girl Power that said to me, I phoned her probably in tears one day saying, like, I don't know if I can do this. And the advice that's always stuck with me is, um, you know, when you do this stuff on the outside, it looks like everything's clean and organized and flows and it's messy. It's all messy. But what's put out there is, is beautiful. And, and I was like, that's it. I just had to accept that part that this is entrepreneurship. It can be, you 
have to be able to ebb and flow, right? It's, it's very, if you try and sort of grasp on to that stream of water, you can't, you can't hold water, right? That's how I think of entrepreneurship. You can stick your hand in there and just watch the water flow through and know how you're going to navigate. Makes me think of, you know what, I don't know if you've ever gone surfing, but I remember when I started, when I started to learn to surf as someone who grew up in Alberta, but then was living on the coast, I, you know, I would get up on a wave. And when I first started, it was almost like I would, if I fell off the board, I would fight the wave to like, try and get up. But what, what you learn is that you actually just need to let go when the wave might be tossing and turning you. And it, that analogy came to mind as you were talking about that, you know, embracing the messy and the ebb and flow. What are your thoughts there? And have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone surfing and experienced that? Like, oh my gosh, I'm giggling to myself because I, you know, I, I did a trip to Bali a number of years ago. I saved and saved and saved. And I went to this trip to Bali, you <laughs> know, I went surfing, Jen, and I thought, oh, it's going to be this magical spiritual experience of, you know, I'm going to be up on the wave on the, on the surfboard and the sun is going down and I'm going to be surfing this wave and, and the birds are chirping and, <laughs> you know, the angels are singing. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. Right. Let's just say that so did not happen. Basically, I ended up like face planting into like I could took me like I couldn't get up on the board and then I'm face planting and I can't even find my bathing suit at one point. Like where where did that go? Right. <laughs> I was like, what happened to the birds chirping and the and the sunset and the like I'm covered in sand and grazes. And and I think maybe that is a great analogy for, you know, you have this vision of what it's all going to be like. And then, you know, you have this experience and you're like, that was not what I had planned on. <laughs> yeah. Then you face plant. I actually, uh, <laughs> I remember there were so many times, you know, especially if you're surfing or learning, like you find sand in places that you're like, I, I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know sand could get in there. Oh my word. So maybe that's too much information for anybody that's listening, but you know, it's the truth. So, okay. So you've got this team. How big is your team right now at Kaizen? I mean, how many coaches and, you know, what is your, what does your crew look like? Yes. And you asked me that great question. And I, I kind of defaulted to other things. There's my attention going. See, we have, okay. So Kaizen now we are, where are we at now? We've got 14 people, 14 coaches, I should say. We have a business manager, Ken Wilson. We have the intake client services, Cheryl Northy. And then we have our coaches. We have Kristen Merritt, who is our coaching lead. We realized last year very quickly that I couldn't do every one of the struggles of an entrepreneur, I think, is trying to do everything. And my mentors quickly said to me, you need to hire someone to do that min staff or that. And I'm thinking, I can't afford to hide. It's that double-edged sword. Like I can't afford it, but I can't, but I should. That shift is hard from wearing all of the hats and even to shifting to a hat or two less, whatever that looks like. But I was talking to Shane Fast actually, because I was at Athenian this week, judging a, a, a maker competition or a hackathon they were doing. Anyway, he was talking about that, that shifting from doing everything to then focusing on a smaller number of priorities is actually a, a difficult shift. And I can imagine it was that for you to like, let go of those pieces to let go of them. And then, and then be able to afford that, right? Because when you're a startup, and you're growing, like, there isn't a lot of money, because you're not, you're not taking money to necessarily pay yourself, right? You've got to put it back into the development, which is actually where we're at now, which is developing a and well, we've developed the MVP for a digital product that we are going to be launching in the fall, but we're doing all the piloting and iteration right now with Maven. Thin Air Labs, I'll talk about Greg Hart and oh my gosh, that man was an inspiration and still is, of course. Anyway, I'll come back to that. But we're at that point where 
it's like, okay, we need this help. So that first leap to hire an admitted assistant, someone to work with the coaches, someone to train the coaches. I did all that. I used to answer phones and, you know, anything from I'm buying toilet paper for the office as well as coaching, as well as training coaches. And it, it became really obvious last year. I could do it. And then, you know, I had some really challenging health issues in my family. I was having some health issues. You know, my father has advanced dementia. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so everything, all of a sudden, and maybe the big blessing is I had to rely on my team. I just had to. And they came out and supported me. This part makes me a bit emotional, but they were so supportive. And that's what entrepreneurship is when you're connected with the right people. You love each other. They are your family because they are seeing you go through. You have to rely on them when you're the most vulnerable, when you're trying to hold it all together and you're trying to be, we're growing, we're scaling, we've, we're, we're tape, this is showing my age, we're videotaping, we're recording. <laughs> we're for the VHS. No, we're recording with Maven and we're writing scripts and we're and a lot of that was on me and I could just simply could not do the other. And my team came out in droves and said, what do you need here? And I just delegated and they rose to the occasion. And I am so thankful to this day because it was at such a critical point. And we are still at this critical point where now we've iterated it. We are doing a second iteration. We work closely with Alberta Innovates who are... Lindsay at Alberta Innovates has been amazingly supportive and coaching us on how to grow and scale this next phase. We're, we're pulling together to develop our digital product, which will be called the Brain Hub. Well, it is called the Brain Hub Academy. So that's that vision of building a community of support for businesses, for adults, for children, Anyone who's working with brains <laughs> can support and coach all those executive functioning skills. So now we're taking our, our proven practice, research-based practice that we've tested really, I guess, for what, 10 years now. Now we're, we're trying to create an online form so people can do that for their people. And it's been, you know, now we're working our team. We've got four adult coaches on our team are working with executive functioning coaching for adults too. And you know, through Inception U that, you know, providing adults with, with, and this is my favorite Greg Hart term, which is unlearning your learning, right? And how are you going to be future fit? So all of those pieces started, have come together to now. So now we're working with Thin Air Labs and Greg Hart was instrumental. Ken Wilson, our business manager, knew Greg from another lifetime. And again, we saw, I mean, he's like, hey, I know that guy. We saw Greg on TV. And then we talked to Greg and Greg's like, this is exactly the kind of work that Thin Air wants to get involved with. It just all, just this network of, I mean, what it comes down to, right, is people supporting each other without ego. Totally. And how, how imperative trust is, especially along the way, like not even in just building the business and the product and, and that, but you really lean on people. And I remember that. I remember last year when you got sick along the way and your body, I feel at that point and what you were navigating just screamed at, the, at you that you have to stop. And so that's been interesting, like as your friend to observe and watch where you then were, I don't want to say forced, but you were in a situation that you had to hand things off, delegate, not that you didn't trust your team because clearly you do implicitly, but it's been neat to see how the ball has kept rolling, you know? And I think for, for any entrepreneur and, and letting go of pieces as you continue to grow the business as hard as that can be, it's so necessary. And, you know, surrounding yourself, not just with the team that is working with you on the business, but that extended community is so, so important. So that that's amazing that you're at this point where the Brain Hub Academy is, you know, in MVP stage, and you're, you know, at that 
that part of the the development of the the actual software product. I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned, and maybe this isn't the right time, but you know, neurodiversity, I mean, we're all neurodiverse. <laughs> so, you know, there's not one perfect brain, but you had said you were working with a group of students last week and it was a large group and you had said the comment at one point that ADHD, the term ADHD is stupid. <laughs> Can you tell me, tell me a little bit about that? Because there was a boy, a 16 year old, I think in the audience who really resonated with that. And I want to ask this because I think there's a lot of us that can relate to this piece of labels being so restrictive, but also not appropriate for what it actually is, you know? Yeah, another soapbox, right? I will probably might ruffle some feathers with this, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I think it's the stupidest term only because I don't, Okay, let me back up. So yes, I was working Cobblestone Collective, formerly EdTech Team, is a is a fantastic organization that supports teachers actually with digital interventions or digital integration, I guess, into the classroom. And so right now we're doing co-taught lessons. So Michelle Armstrong and I, she asked me to do a co-taught lesson on attention which is like, yay, because we know attention and ADHD and executive functioning deficits go hand in hand, they're buddies. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. So we presented to over, I don't know, 1500 students or something last week about attention hacks for developing brains, teenage brains. And we all know, right, we're in this age of information overload, despite the beauty and innovation of technology, it's also can be, you know, the force of evil as well. And this little, I don't know, he wasn't a little boy. I, I, we were getting chats, so I didn't actually see him, but I had gone on a bit of a rant about if you're diagnosed with ADHD, yes, ADHD is a condition, obviously. And it's, it's something diagnosable. I'm talking about the way it's named attention deficit disorder is completely ridiculous because it's not a deficit of attention. It just means that your attention, despite boredom, fatigue, hunger, right? You can't focus on what needs something boring and engagement. It's hard to focus on. So despite all of that, so it's not actually a deficit because people who have ADHD can focus amazingly. So like when you're in your flow state, Jen, like there is nothing stopping you. You have hyper-focus. Yeah. And it's very evident. I, now that I'm learning more about this for myself, it's so evident <laughs> the difference between the two, the hyper-focus versus too much focus on too many things. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I, I had just said to this group, like, don't label yourself as having attention problems. It's that your attention can be misdirected. And how do we train that? How do we train you to understand when you're you're losing focus you've derailed a bit so he wrote in the chat I think he was about 15 16 and he just said you know I'm a student who has severe anxiety and I have been diagnosed with ADHD we also know anxiety and ADHD are close buddies and he said that's life-changing to know what you just said about ADHD being a misdirection of attention versus him being told his whole life. He says, I've been told my whole life, pay attention and I have bad attention and I can't attend. So he said, I'm understanding more. And it just, those kinds of things. I mean, the days when entrepreneurship is awful and everything's happening and and then you, you realize the actual impact that something that you're developing has on people. That's what fuels you to keep going. That's what makes you go, okay, we're making something. We're going to, we're going to make impacts on people's lives. And it's, it's very rewarding. I think about the Inception U student, Jen, who had struggled, brilliant, of course, brilliant young lady and had grown up believing she had ADHD kind of self-diagnosed. This is what happens when we don't understand our own brains. We self-diagnose. It's no one's fault. Anyway, she was self-diagnosed herself and she said, I'm sure I have ADHD. 
we did our our cognitive profiling to learn her strengths and needs. And she, of course, scored super high, right? Like, if you want to talk IQ, I'm sure, you know, whoa, she's really smart. But she was struggling to understand information, process information. And she felt, she said, I'm just so slow. I don't get it. I can't do all this coding. Anyway, turns out, slow processing speed. Everything is super high. She just has slow processing speed. So that kind of impact, she goes, that's it? That's it? That's all it is? Yep. That's all it is. So now let's figure out some tools and strategies to bypass that and help remove that roadblock. Yeah. And she's just, she's just rocking and rolling right now. We're so proud of, you know, she completely pivoted her you know, her career, she was working in finance and now works in fintech, which is so amazing. But that story, and I hope everybody that's listening recognizes that as adults, we always need to be learning and growing and learning about ourselves doesn't stop (laughs) at 18. And we know that we know we're always learning life lessons. But I think intentionally focusing on our brains and how we think and how we learn is so important. Because we're always learning new things, especially in in work. So I just think it's a, a great reminder to all of us to be kind and loving to ourselves in the process, especially if you're stepping into something that is brand new. And then that uncertainty and the fear and all of the flares that come up in that are natural. And it's really just about finding those strategies and those stepping stones to help you get there. And it's not the same for everybody. I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of, I guess, things on the personal side, because it also has been a significant part in your you know, journey as an entrepreneur, you know, and I loved that earlier, you were talking about, you know, the external appearance of the business or the website or whatever, you know, it comes in a, per- it, I don't want to say perfect package, but it, I mean, what you're putting out there is beautiful and amazing, but we're human and we're navigating, you know, loads of challenges. And I wanted to just do some honor to, you know, your parents in particular, because clearly they were, and are amazing individuals. But I'd love if you could share a little bit about your mom and your dad. And if you're okay with that, because I think it's important to honor that and and also, you know, share with the audience, because I think there's a lot of people that might be able to relate to some pieces of this. Try and do it without (laughs) getting too emotional. But, you know, my parents are beautiful people. I talked about them a little bit at the beginning. and truly an inspiration to me. My brother passed away back in 2008, as I mentioned, from cancer. We were a very close family. So it was just for a long time, it was just me and my parents. My father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Well, the true Alzheimer's about seven years ago, and then mild cognitive delay 10 years ago, which turned into very high (laughs) levels of dementia and Alzheimer's. So mom, my mom looked after my father at home. And uh, tragically, my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer back in May, last May, almost a year ago, what's has been a year. Mom was never a smoker. And so maybe a little plug for awareness here. They think it was environmental causes, radon exposure, perhaps everyone should have their homes, cabins, living spaces tested for radon exposure. Dr. Aaron Godarzi at the university, right in our own, in our own city, is the specialist and guru in that area. So mom, mom passed away in December, December 28th. So six month battle, intense battle. It was awful. My father at this point had advanced dementia. I was trying to navigate all that while the business, the MVP recordings started and the script writing. So as Murphy's Law or whatever you want to call it would have it in October when I was supposed to record, I had an appendix burst, not an appendix, the appendix. Apparently we just have one. (laughs) It burst. Thank God we only have one. So that burst, I ended up in hospital for two weeks, stressed out because mom's having to go to chemo treatments on her own. My parents live in Kelowna. So I was traveling back and forth. I was laid up in the hospital for two weeks. And (laughs) right or wrong is they're wheeling me in for an operation. Maven will get a kick out of this because I was supposed to do my recording on Thursday and it was a Sunday night. And I asked the surgeon right before they put me under if I could still make my recording 
on Thursday. Like, does he think I'll be out by Thursday? Cause I've got this really important recording I have to do. And my team's relying on me to have all this done so they can do their work and we can launch, get the MVP going and the iterations. And this is what I'm thinking about right before my surgery. And there was just so much. I tell you that just because not to say, oh my gosh, poor Sam, but more so to say, this is what entrepreneurs are going through because I think we need to be a bit vulnerable and share our stories and say, we recognize that you're not a robot in entrepreneurship. There are other forces and influences on your life, aging parents, caring for children. There's so many influences on that person. And so when you, speaking of the empathy piece and the, and the diversity piece in the workplace, you know, when someone shows up to work and they're struggling, try and dig into that why question, because we know Dr. Ross Green says, right? Behavior is simply an indicator of a lagging skill or unsolved problem. That's it, right? That's all behavior is, whether you're talking about kids or adults. So I'm sure I had some lagging skills and unsolved problems that my team just rallied around me, but they couldn't have had I not told them what was going on. And there, I know there's different schools of thought on that is from leadership, but my style is, look, guys, I'm human. My mom is dying. She's in palliative care now. My father's here. I'm trying to get to this meeting. I can't make it. Send me the recording. Okay, no problem. And they have to understand all that before they can know what to do to help because I didn't even know what I needed. But they just jumped in and supported and said, it's okay, we've got this. And things I would just forget, they would they would just make it all work so that no client went without support. No, not, we didn't miss a deadline other than my recording. <laughs> I could not. And so Maven rescheduled. We rescheduled with Maven for like 400 times because... So I think flexibility and grace, maybe that's what I'm trying to say, makes such a huge impact in the workplace. And if you can articulate, you know, to your workmates that you have a slow processing speed or you struggle with attention or like we can start to accommodate in the workplace or, you know what, guys, I've got, this is all happening in my life. I need help. And that for me was very difficult. I know you tell me that all the time, Jen, like, how can I help? And I, I struggle to ask for help. I do, but I was forced to. I said, I need help. I cannot do this right now by myself. That's my dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I can hear Jack in the background. By the way, Sam has a, no, 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 it's good. Jack is like, yeah. How old is Jack? He's Jack is a 12 year old. Yeah. 12 year old Gandalf. <laughs> he's yes. A he's a 12 year old, like chocolate lab Gandalf. You know, like he's got this like gray beard. And anyway, I, I'm really grateful that you shared what you have about your your family and your parents. And I, you know, as your friend, it's been, I don't know the right word, but it's been interesting to try and be there to support in whatever way you needed from, from me or from anybody that is in your world. But I've also just been inspired by your ability to be open and honest and vulnerable, but always staying grounded in your why and what it is you're trying to do, not just with the business, but, you know, with, with your family and that sort of legacy. And I think, you know, honoring Iris and Roger and recognizing that these beautiful human beings and the, the characteristics that they have are a big part of you and clearly a big part of your boys, you know, and, and I, I would just want to ask about Aaron and, and Cam because, you know, they've been your rock along the way as well too. What do you think they've learned in the last couple of years, just with this journey, not just with the entrepreneurship, but, you know, with what your family has been navigating, what do you think they're taking away from that? And then also how, how is that helping them as they move forward into being young adults and stepping into the world and, you know, hopefully creating whatever it is they're going to create and impact they're going to have, you know, what, what do you think their learning has been? as a result. You know, they they surprise me every day that I mean they truly are my rocks and I've been very very fortunate and blessed with 
strong men in my life, my father being one of them. My father really taught me and my boys what it means to be a, a human with integrity and what that means and strength. And my dad taught taught me and showed me resilience. Like when I didn't feel like I could bounce back, it was always my dad I went to and he would coach me through those times. And I'd say that's happened with my boys and that, you know, they're just these pillars of strength that stand by me. And I think what they've witnessed, not through any explicit teachings, <laughs> but is more, no matter what, we have each other. And that's was kind of our theme this year, no matter what, no matter what happens, because they've, they're going, they're grieving. They've lost, I mean, my father is still alive, but he does have the final stages. He's in palliative dementia care. We will lose him soon. We've had struggles all the way through with finding appropriate care for him in another system that's a struggle. So the boys have seen all of this, I suppose, and witnessed it. And I, my hope is that they're taking away resilience, strength, but also vulnerability. It's okay. You know, if you've got to cry, it's okay. If you've got to rely on other people, it's okay. And speak your truth. Be, it's really hard in business. When my eldest son is going into starting his CPA and, and Aaron plays rugby for, he's part of the development academy on the island. I, I tell you that because they're just such different beings. And one thing I hope they're taking away is you figure out who you are and who, what your heart and your brain needs and you empower yourself. You're never a victim, right? You're never a victim. You always have people surrounding you. Nothing's not solvable. And so I hope that's what they're taking because we've been through a lot together as a family. So I hope they're taking away that nothing should stop you, right? And and I see them do that. You know, Cameron's choosing to continue with his CPA despite losing both grandparents. Aaron's like, I'm going back to the island. When I was in the hospital with my appendix, I couldn't. We'd had a whole road trip plan to go out to the island I was going to help set him up, move him into his place. Couldn't happen. He drove up there on his own, bought him a ferry ticket, loaded up his car, and he came and visited me. And I was devastated. I couldn't go with him. He said, no, I got this. I got it. So those are the pieces that are beautiful in the whole muddy pond that we live in. <laughs> I feel very fortunate. It is muddy, isn't it? <laughs> But it just makes me think, though, of, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, you know, you were talking about, you know, playing in the mud. And I feel like these pieces of who we are as, as kids are so integral to who we are as adults and the contribution that we have. And, you know, before I wrap it up with my thoughts, I just want to, you know, ask you, what is the best way for people to find out about Kaizen education? Where do you recommend they go? How can they reach out to you? And my hope is that, you know, folks that have been listening, I know it's a longer podcast today, but I'm, I'm hoping that there's a lot of relatability that's come up along the way. So where should people go and how do they get in touch with you? Oh, okay. They can, of course, go to the website. So kaizeneduc.com and you can find out a lot about us on the website. Thanks to Randy, our website developer, who is another gifted, talented human being. Prena Snowden is our social media. And so she's done an incredible job too, getting us out there so they can check out our social media. Instagram, of course, Facebook, LinkedIn is more of our adult coaching pieces. We are launching our adult coaching actually on Monday. So they can check out our adult coaching on social media and on the website. And those are those are the main channels. But of course, I mean, I never want to lose, I never want to lose sight of human contact. So I encourage you, we have a, a lovely client services 
Cheryl Northy. She was a former Kaizen. Well, her son was a former Kaizen client and I snapped her up because she just understood Kaizen. And so she's our client services person. You can phone her, have a conversation about your yourself, your child, and she'll direct you as well. Or reach out to me, right? I have no problem with people calling or emailing me. It's a big part of grounding me in, in the work we do. There are so many words that I have to describe, you know, my friendship with you and how much I am learning from you and continue to all the time. And I am in awe regularly, in fact, daily with your ability to just be your true authentic self for you having the courage and the curiosity to step into this journey of entrepreneurship while also navigating these messy and muddy and crazy seas of things going on with family and, you know, your own health and, and, you know, with what's going on in the world now. So I am so grateful to have you in my life, Sam, and I'm grateful for this conversation. And my hope for anybody that is listening is that you take some time to recognize your unique strengths to recognize how you learn and to be comfortable with asking for support in in anything. If you're uncertain about something or you're not sure how to do something. But I think what Sam has shared with us today is, is a really important piece of not only our personal development, but continuing to grow this ecosystem into a vibe and an energy and a network of people who care deeply about one another and and also supporting one another to to have you know what i refer to all the time a significant impact and creating change so thank you for your time sam thank you to all of you that have joined us for you know this time today and i encourage all of you you know in the next in the next while to reach out hug the ones you love but also recognize that you have an immense amount of strengths and incredible potential and it's just about tapping into that so take some time think about what lights you up and and get to work so have a wonderful day everybody and uh, we'll catch up soon if you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. If you need software developers or you need software developed, New Idea Machine can make your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com to learn more. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.